<clears throat> One of the missions of the United States Army Special Forces is to win the hearts and the minds of the people. Special Forces adopted this mission early in their existence because they knew that to win the hearts and the minds, you win the people. What people believe in their minds shapes what they embrace in their hearts. What people believe in their minds and embrace in their hearts determines the way that they live their lives. Satan knows this as well. That's why there is a battle going on today for the hearts and the minds of the people. Satan knows that if he he can control what people think, then he'll control what they embrace in their hearts. And if he controls what people embrace in their hearts, then he controls the way they live their lives. His great desire in this is that their actions, reactions, priorities, values, and beliefs be built on something, anything other than God's will and want as revealed in Scripture. Satan wages this battle through culture and education. Every book, song, news article, magazine article, TV show, movie, and anything else you can watch, hear, or read has a way in which it views the world. The way that it views the world determines the thoughts, it determines what's embraced in the heart, and it determines what's lived in the life. And not only does everything that we watch, hear, or read have a way that it views the world, but it also wants us to see the world the same way that it does. Everything we watch, hear, or read is trying to shape the way that we view the world. These things all want us to think as they think, so we'll embrace in our hearts what they've embraced in their hearts, and we'll have the same actions, reactions, priorities, values, and beliefs that they have. The battle rages for the minds of our children. I once heard a pastor say that it infuriated him to hear parents say they're not going to tell their children what to think. His reasoning for that is that if you're not telling your child what to think, you are the only one in their life that isn't. That everything they hear, everybody around them, is trying to tell them what to think. And that is absolutely true. Everything that our children watch, hear, or read is promoting to them a way to view the world with the goal of convincing them to view it in the exact same way. Everything they watch, hear, or read is promoting to them a value system, a set of moral guidelines and a system of beliefs with the goal of convincing them to embrace this value system, these moral guidelines, and this set of beliefs. This is seen in the influences that seek to make cool more popular or more important than character, success more important than the soul, sexual conquest and sexual attractiveness as more important than purity and devotion to Christ. But the battle doesn't just rage rage for the mind of our children. The battle rages for your mind and mine as well. Everything and everyone in our lives is telling us what to think as well. Everything we watch, hear, or read is promoting to us a way to view the world with the goal of convincing us to view it in the exact same way. Everything we watch... Everything we hear and everything we read is promoting to us a value system, a set of moral guidelines and a system of beliefs with the goal of our embracing those values, those morals, and those beliefs. This is seen in the influences that say to us that success is more important than the soul. This is seen in... in Seeing in the things that try to impress upon us that our immediate pleasure is more important than our commitment to our spouse. And that our happiness is more important than our commitment to Christ. The battle is raging for the hearts and the minds of every person in this room. And for the hearts and minds of every person we love and care for. How do we fight and win this battle? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 3, that's page 887 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. 
the Apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The title of the message this morning is the battle for the mind. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, you have given us your word. You have sent your spirit. All of these things are meant to guide us in the way that we live, the values we hold, the morals we keep, and the way that we think. Yet, God, there is a battle raging within us to believe differently than you want us to believe, to live differently than you want us to, believe, to live, and to value things that you do not want us to value. So, Father, we need you to guide us today so that we can let your word examine our hearts and our lives. Father, that we can see if we have embraced the world's mindset, to see if we have strongholds that are built up in our lives. Father, we need you to use your word and your spirit today to, to destroy any strongholds that we may have built in our minds and our lives. We need you to bring our every thought captive to the obedience of Christ that we would live the way that you want us to live, and we would be who you want us to be. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit, and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, and help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. Let me be a vessel of honor that you could use to help and encourage and strengthen your people today. Work this in our lives. Help us to live it out from this point on. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Aren't you maybe seated? In this section of the second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about spiritual warfare, and he focuses the spiritual warfare on the mind, on the way that we, we think and what's going on in our lives, and he refers to the battle for the mind as, as strongholds. And what I want to do this morning is, is answer some questions that we need to have about strongholds. We need to answer what is a stronghold? What do strongholds do? What is the danger? Where do strongholds come from? What is the danger of strongholds? And how do we overcome them? The first thing we want to understand is, is what is a stronghold? I'm, see, I, I don't use an outline differently than I normally do, so I wrote, I got notes here for me so I can kind of remember things. Anyway, what is a stronghold? Typically, the way I've heard a stronghold explained is that a stronghold is a sin. That we give into our lives a lot, and it has a, a strong hold on our lives. A sin that's difficult to get rid of. A sin that, that pulls at us most especially. And, and while that is probably true to an extent, there are sins that have a strong hold on our lives. They are difficult to get rid of. That is not a stronghold in the sense that Paul refers to it here. Right? Because in the end, what we always have to remember is that the sin itself is never the main problem. Sin is a symptom of a different problem. Sin is a symptom of a bigger problem. Right? And in this case, a stronghold is not the sin, but a stronghold is the thought process behind the sin. A stronghold is the thought process that causes us to say, this sin is okay. 
A stronghold is the thought process that convinces us that what God has says about this sin is not true or for one reason or another does not pertain to us. A stronghold is a worldly way of thinking that results in a worldly sinful way of living. Now Paul defines a stronghold in a couple of ways. First, he says in verse 5 that it's an, an argument. An argument is a reason or reasons that a person gives to convince another of a particular position. Right? So if, if I'm going to explain to you why you should do what I want you to do, why you should vote the way I want you to vote, why you should dress the way I want you to dress, I'm going to set out to convince you of this. I'm going to give you reasons why I'm right and you're wrong. I'm going to set out to explain this to you to convince you to switch, to believe like I believe, to live like I live, to do what I want you to do. Argument is a set of reasons given to convince someone or a group of people that a particular action or inaction or belief is right. Then he also refers to it as a high thing. Um, I think like the English Standard Version refers to it as a pretentious opinion. And the idea of a, of a high thing or a high thought or a pretentious opinion is that it's an elevated opinion. Right? It is an opinion that has been elevated above all else. Right? And, and with an elevated position is it, it reigns above all and it is always right regardless of anything else. Right? An elevated position is one that even if you, you present arguments and you present facts that go against it, they're going to say, I, I don't care because this is right. An elevated position or, or an elevated or high thing also often causes arrogance in those who embrace it. Those who have the pretentious opinions, these lofty opinions, what they often do is say, I'm smarter than you. And that's why I believe what I believe. If you were smart, if you were educated, if you were an intellectual, you would believe like I believe. I am inherently better than you because I believe something you, you don't believe. So, from this, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a reason or a set of reasons that someone can give to explain why a false belief system a sinful action or a sinful inaction is not only acceptable, but correct. It's not only acceptable, but correct. Right? So, someone can say, the Bible says. And a person with a stronghold then begins to explain the reasons why that does not pertain to them. They believe something different than the Bible believes, but they're still right. They're doing something contrary to what the Bible says, but it's okay. They're refusing to do something the Bible is said to do, but that's acceptable and the right thing to do for them. That's a, a stronghold. Now, where do strongholds come from? Strongholds come from a variety of places. But the one that I'm going to focus on today that is perhaps the most dangerous one for those that, that come to church at any sort of regularity or irregularity is a stronghold comes from hearing God's truth 
but not heeding God's truth. Hearing God's truth, but not heeding God's truth, builds strongholds in my life. One of the the greatest lies that people believe that helps build strongholds is what I have come to call the myth of neutrality. And the myth of neutrality states, I can be neutral regarding God and the things of God. Right? I can hear the gospel presented. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. And he calls me to come to him. And I can be neutral to that. I can not respond. Right? I, I don't embrace Christ as my Savior. But at the same time, I'm not rejecting him. I'm, I'm neutral. Right? The myth of neutrality says, I can be neutral towards the things of God's word. Yes, I see that God's Word says that, and I see what you're saying, that that's how I should live, believe, or act. But I'm not going to. I'm not, now, I'm not rebelling against God. And I'm not saying I'm not going to do what God... I'm just saying I'm, I'm kind of neutral toward it. Right? The myth of neutrality says I don't have to choose regarding Jesus. Right? And that I can say Jesus is just alright with me. Now, He's not Savior and Lord. I don't necessarily need that. But at the same time, I'm not one of those people that just hates Jesus either. I'm, I'm kind of, he's okay and I'm okay. The idea that we do not have to choose sides regarding Jesus. This is a myth. There is, there is no way to not respond. Anytime you hear the gospel, you respond. Anytime you're, you're in God's Word, you respond. Anytime you hear about or learn about Jesus, you respond. The question is, how do you respond? But you always respond. And in one way we respond, it draws us closer to Christ. And in another way we respond, and it builds a stronghold against Christ in our lives. Let me show you this from Scripture. Look at what James says. I love this. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? James says, right, that don't just hear the truth, but heed the truth. Don't just hear what the Bible says, do what the Bible says. Hear it and heed it. But notice what happens if you don't heed it. You deceive yourself. How do we deceive ourselves when we hear but don't heed? Here's what we do. We begin to give excuses as to why we don't have to do that. Right? We begin to give excuses as to why we're not being disobedient. We give excuses as to why our beliefs that are contrary to Scripture are okay. And what we do is we convince ourselves that we're right. See, we don't, we would never say, here's my excuse. We don't give excuses. You know what we have? Reasons. Here's the reason I'm not living a holy life. Here's the reason I don't come to church. Here's the, the reason I'm not generous with my money. Here's the reason I'm not doing it. We develop reasons to convince others that we're right. We, convince, we develop reasons to convince, well, primarily ourselves. First and foremost. 
that our, our false belief, our sinful action, our sinful inaction is not only acceptable, but right. And then once we've convinced ourselves and somebody mentions it to us, we begin to try to convince them that our sinful action, our sinful inaction, our false belief system is not only acceptable, but right. Now, does that sound familiar? That's a stronghold. That's an argument that becomes a stronghold in our lives. See, strongholds don't necessarily come through satanic attack. Stronghold comes from our unwillingness to do what God has said. Every time I hear God's word, I respond in one way or another. Every time. And the way I respond either draws me closer to Christ or builds a stronghold up in my life. Now the the image of a stronghold, that should be a powerful picture for us. And in Paul's time, a stronghold was a fortified position that was built to protect the people who went in there. They, they They retreated and went into the stronghold so that the enemy could not assail them. That they could be safe and they would be free. Similarly, a spiritual stronghold is built to keep us safe. A spiritual stronghold is built to keep us from being confronted by truths that we don't like. Strongholds are built to keep us safe from being confronted by things that we're supposed to be doing but we're not doing. We build our strongholds so that when Scripture contradicts our life or our beliefs, we don't feel convicted. And we don't feel the need to change. Instead, the stronghold allows us to say, I can see that the Bible says that, but here's why that's not true for me. Strongholds are built for our protection so that we can live lives contrary to God's will. So that we can believe things contrary to God's word. And we can not do things that God has said we ought to do. Now what is the, the overall the, the danger of a stronghold? I mean, because at this point, just hearing but not doing, that sounds better than, you know, a lot of things. Hearing but not doing isn't, doesn't seem to be overly dangerous. So why should I be worried that I'm building strongholds in my life? Because look at what Paul says about the strongholds in verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing, and notice this part, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. See, a stronghold keeps me from knowing God. Now, one of the things about this that I found particularly challenging is, I had just always figured, a stronghold was for those who did not know Jesus to begin with. They never had faith in Christ. Like, if we were to look at 2 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks about people who are blinded to the gospel, that Satan keeps blinded. And I would, I thought that was who he was talking about. That was a stronghold. The reasons that they gave to not surrender to Christ as Savior. And while that's true, that is not the, the primary application that Paul is referring to here. At this point, Paul is not talking about unbelievers. Paul is addressing the believers in Corinth specifically. So the danger of a stronghold 
is that believers and unbelievers alike can have them. You and I who have claimed to surrender to Christ and embrace Him as Savior and Lord, we are just as likely to have a stronghold in our life as an unbeliever is. Because a stronghold comes when you hear but don't heed God's Word. So the danger is that it keeps us from knowing God. And it does it in different ways. It does it one way for an unbeliever and one way for a believer. Let's look at at what it does for an unbeliever. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. See, a stronghold, an unbeliever builds a stronghold against God's word. And it keeps them blinded to the gospel. So they do not embrace Christ as Savior. And it keeps them from ever turning to Christ. And the thing about a stronghold is, it continually gets bigger and stronger and moves them further and further away from Christ. Now, Romans 1 and 18 This passage kind of explains that. It says in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, notice the idea of the wrath of God. It's being revealed. It's going to to be poured out on those who are ungodly and who are unrighteous. Now, the thing about these ungodly and unrighteous people is that they are suppressing the truth. Now, primarily, the truth that it's referring to is the truth about who God is and what God is like. We see that in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifested to them, for God has shown it to them. Right? So, here's the picture. These people, there's a, a bit of truth about who God is and what God is like has been revealed to them. And God reveals himself in, in a lot of different ways. Right? God's truth is revealed in nature. Creation necessitates a creator. I know there are people that can build pianos because there's a piano right over there. God's truth is revealed in our conscience. How how did we, when we were younger, and we lied and we stole and we felt bad about it, why did we feel bad? Because God's truth is in our conscience to let us know there's a standard of right and wrong throughout the world. God's truth is revealed in Scripture. And then God's truth is revealed in Christ. God has made Himself abundantly clear. He is real and He is here. And then people, they see this revelation of God. They see creation. They hear the Word. The conscience is conflicted. They hear about Christ. And they hear about it and they reject it. Right? They, they push back against it. And he goes on in verse 19. says in verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 21. Because although they they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Right. So although they they knew God, they had this this idea of who God was and what God was like, they, they rejected it and they suppressed it. They said, I don't like a God who's holy and demands holiness. I don't like a God who says there's a, there's a thou shalt and a thou shalt not in life. I don't like a God who says I need to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him. So what they did was they rejected that truth and they suppressed it and said, no, that, that can't be right. There's no way that if God's love, He could do this or He could say that or He would be like that. And then... It says in verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man 
birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Right? And in verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's what they do. Something about God is revealed. But they don't like it. It's not the way they want God to be. So they reject that truth. They suppress that truth. And they exchange it. The truth of God for a lie. They begin to, to make a God that they like. A God that makes them feel warm and fuzzy. A God that, that is there to, to answer all their prayers but make no demands on their life. A God that's okay with however we live as long as we're happy. A God who, who really is just whatever we want Him to be. Right? But regardless of how we do it, it is a, a man-made creation. We have exchanged the, the truth of God for a lie. And we have created something and we have said, That is God. And that I will worship. And the result of that in the rest of the chapter is, they just move further and further away from God. Further and further into depravity. See, what happens is we don't get to make God how we want Him to be. God, God already is. He has a character. He has a nature. He has a will. And all of that has been revealed to us. And we don't get to say, well, that's not the God I like. I would prefer God to be like this instead. When we do that, we aren't changing God. We are changing God's. We go from worship the blessed creator, sustainer, and redeemer to worshiping a God of our imagination, of our creation. And the longer we worship that God that we've created, the stronger the strongholds become, the further away from God we go. And we just keep going into darkness, keep going further and further away from God, keep going to the day where we, we face the wrath of God that will be revealed. Against unrighteous and ungodly people. That is the way the danger of a stronghold for, for an unbeliever. But what about for us as believers? For a believer, it's a similar process. For a believer, we hear, but we don't heed. We build a stronghold. And what we begin to do is we begin to drift gradually away from the Lord. The Bible warns us about this. It says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard as we drift away. Again, strongholds are built when we hear but don't heed. So the author of Hebrews is warning us to, to heed what we hear. To be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. To pay such special attention to what God's word says. The truth that has been revealed to us. That we take part and we put it into practice in our lives. And the danger of hearing but not heeding is that we begin to drift away. And the image of drift away should be one that stands out to us. Because a drift is not a great and giant leap away. It is a slow but continual pulling away. And the word that's translated as drift often carried with it the idea of neglect. And, and again, this is part of what makes it so dangerous for you and I. Is very few people that have ever truly been saved and born again and committed to God just one day say, I've, I've had it with Christ and I've had it with the Bible and I've had it with church. I'm just going to... I'm just walking away from all of it. 
Instead, what happens is, Scripture deals with them in an area they don't want to be dealt with. It could be selfishness. It could be finances. It could be, it could be anything. Who knows? I mean, gosh, Scripture deals with such, such a great, vast part of our lives. It could be any number of things. And so what I do is I say, I, I don't want to deal with that. And so I begin to build my reasons as to why hearing but not heeding is okay. And that stronghold is built. But in the back of my mind and deep in my heart, I always know I'm wrong. And then what I do is, I begin to say, you know what? There's a reason why I don't have to do this. But I've never really liked doing this particular thing either. So, here's a reason why this doesn't pertain to me anymore. And, and we just build on it. We build a stronghold here and we build a stronghold there and a stronghold there. And then we just gradually, over time, do you, I still love Jesus. I just don't think this is important anymore. I just don't think this really is for me. And then we go and we drift and we go on. And then over time, we look and we are so very far away from Christ. You find anyone that was once committed to Christ, that is now far from Christ, if you knew them, you'll find that they took short, tiny, but continual steps away from Christ. There was no large, decisive, I'm through. It was just a gradual drift, a gradual letting things go, a gradual saying, I can hear but not heed, and it's okay for me because of this. And they drift away. And that idea that we drift away isn't just found in Hebrews. Paul warned about it too. He said, oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, Timothy is warned against profane and idle babblings. Now, we talked about that in our Sunday school class. One of the things I mentioned was profane there doesn't necessarily refer to what we might call sexually perverse type things like we might think of with profane. Instead, it's referring, given the context, to, to false ideas, false beliefs. And what Paul was warning Timothy about is rejecting false beliefs that's falsely called knowledge, right? And it's not just some knowledge. It's basically often Christian knowledge. Right here, here I, I know you've always heard that you should be this way. But listen, God showed me something. And everything you've ever believed and everything you've ever known is wrong. Let me tell you the truth. Listen, now I'm pretty convinced anything starts off like that, I just flush it and go away. There is no way that's ever going to redeem itself. But that's the idea. This false knowledge. And a lot of times... What it's often going to be is a reason why your arguments are okay. It's going to be a reason why sinful actions are acceptable. It's going to be a reason why sinful inaction is okay. It's going to be a reason why false beliefs are not that big of a deal. And Timothy was to refuse them, to avoid them, Because notice the result of them. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. False knowledge, it built a stronghold. And that stronghold did what strongholds do. It exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And it pushed the believer away from Christ. 
and outside the kingdom. That is the danger of a stronghold. They are, if they stay, they are damning. Damning to an unbeliever, eventually damning to a believer. So how do we, how do we fight against that? How do we destroy the strongholds that are in our life, that could be in our life? Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought captive the obedience of Christ. God's truth destroys strongholds, brings us to Jesus. That is how we fight strongholds. God's empowered truth destroys strongholds and brings us to Christ. God's truth is always central to our spiritual warfare. Even the warfare and the battle for the mind. So how do we, what do we need to know? I want to tell you four things quickly about God's empowered truth that will help us put it into practice in our life. The first thing is that God's truth is empowered. God's word is not just a book written by men. It is something powerful and something special. Here's what Jesus said about it. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now the word he used for truth is interesting. Because Jesus didn't use a word that meant true. Jesus is not saying your word is true. And that it conforms to a higher standard of truth. Instead, what Jesus is saying is, your word, it is true. It, it, it is the standard for truth. See, God's word, it's not true because it fits in with society's views. God's word is not true because it's old and has been around a long time and, and old is gold and new is ooh. God's word is true and God's word is the standard of truth. How do we know if something is a right belief? It'll be consistent with scripture. How do we know if something is a right action? It'll be consistent with scripture. How do we know a right value system? It'll be consistent with Scripture. Scripture is the standard for truth. And since the Scripture is God's truth, God will use it to knock down strongholds. The Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? He knew it was the power of God that led to salvation. Paul had embraced the gospel. And it had knocked down the strongholds he had against Christ. We don't have time this morning, but read Acts 9 through about 15. And understand the life the Apostle Paul lived before coming to Christ. He had strongholds against the knowledge of Christ. But the gospel knocked them down and brought him to Christ. Paul had since preached the gospel thousands of times. He preached to people that worshipped idols. He preached to people that were sexually immoral. He preached to people that were murderers and rapists and, and all kinds of wicked things. And he had seen the gospel of Jesus Christ knock down their strongholds and bring those people to Christ. You know one reason I know the gospel knocks down strongholds and brings people to Christ? Because it did that to me. 
in my life, the gospel has brought me to a place where I know Jesus. It knocked down strongholds I had erected to keep me from believing in Jesus, to keep me from surrendering to Christ. And it brought me to him. The gospel will work. I love this passage. My word, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. This word's powerful because God works through it. God's word brings us always to a place of decision. It always pricks the heart. It always works in the mind. It always forces people to decide about Jesus, about salvation, about life and righteousness and goodness. Because God always works through His Word. God's truth is powerful and empowered. As a preacher, these verses encourage me to remember that it's not about how eloquent I can speak. That if I can just share God's truth, God will use that Word to work in people's lives. So first, God's word is empowered. But secondly, or God's truth is empowered. God empowers me to embrace his truth. God empowers me to embrace his truth. The Bible says in Romans that naturally all of our minds are in opposition against God. That naturally all of our thoughts are contrary to Scripture. And that at no point can they ever just be brought into submission on their own. You know, there's nothing that can that I can do that would have made me believe the Bible. That would have made me just... I, I don't just... People don't just suddenly say, I don't believe Jesus. Oh wait, yes I do. Right? It's not that easy. It requires something outside of us to change an unbeliever to a believer. It takes something stronger than ourselves and our will to cause us to say the Bible is true, Jesus is real, and salvation is free. God empowers us to embrace His truth. It's seen a couple of places. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. See, the unbelieving mind is in rebellion against God's Word. Whoop, I'm pushing too many buttons here. Um, the unbelieving mind is in rebellion against God's word. And so God has to work in that to bring it into submission. So what God does first is he, he convicts us. Now, I prefer the term convince. The word convict could mean convince. And the idea of convince is it convinces us of a truth we didn't previously know. Right? So God's word comes and the spirit works in our life. And it says, here's something you didn't previously believe and you didn't think was true. But now you can see that it is it convinces us that it's true. And what does it convince us of? Well, it convinces us that we have sinned. Right? I mean, what took... Think about when you were saved. At one point, we were all proud sinners. We were, ex- we, we were good enough. We didn't need that. What was it that caused us to suddenly say, I have sinned. I am guilty in the courts of heaven. The Holy Spirit took the word of God and convinced us of our sin. And once we have been convinced of our sin, we suddenly become convinced of something else. Our lack of righteousness. Once we become aware of the fact we have sinned against a holy God, we become aware we have no righteousness in his kingdom. 
We become aware of the fact that if we stood before God in the courts of heaven, we would hear guilty. And again, what caused you to go from a proud sinner that felt good enough to someone who said, I need salvation. I need Jesus. The Holy Spirit took the word of God, convinced you of your sin and of your lack of righteousness. And then finally, of the judgment to come. Part of what the Holy Spirit convinces us of, that we will hear guilty and we will face the wrath of God. And we need Jesus to save us from that. Anytime an unbeliever begins to seek out Christ, begins to call upon Him for salvation, that is always God at work in their lives enabling them to embrace His truth. But it doesn't stop at salvation. Jesus said, When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Have you ever been reading the Bible on your own and suddenly it clicked You understood something you previously didn't understand or you understood it in a different way or you saw things in your life that need to change. That's that's God. That's the Holy Spirit at work in our life enabling us to understand His truth. He works in us as His children and as believers to help us know His truth so that we can live His truth. God's truth is always at work in our lives as believers. God is at work in our lives trying to knock down strongholds we have erected. So he shows us things from scripture that contradict the strongholds we have erected. So that we will tear them down and let his word become the authority in our lives. And we will begin to follow him. God empowers me to speak his truth. One of the great fears that we have about trying to help people come to know Jesus Christ is that we won't have all the answers. We're not good enough speakers. Or even, I think even with talking with our children. Right? As parents, we, we know we're supposed to disciple our children and teach them about Christ and how to follow Him. And we're like, I just, they'll have questions, right? Because kids have all kinds of questions. They can think of questions you never even imagined that there would be a question for. You think, how do I do that? I, I know they'll ask a question I can't answer. We do it confidently, knowing that we don't do it in our own power. Right? Jesus said this. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. The word endued in the English Standard Version, it means clothed with power. right? So it just pictures the Holy Spirit coming and, and surrounding us and enabling us to speak the truth of God to people in a way that God will work through to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, our ability to, to talk to people who don't believe to explain the truth that would fight against the stronghold they have erected. It's not in our eloquence. It's not in our wisdom and our wit and our charm. It is the power of God that works in us and through us to knock down those strongholds and bring folks to Jesus. That's what God wants to do in and through each and every one of us. He wants to work through all of us to empower us Speak his truth so that others can have strongholds knocked down and their every thought brought captive, the obedience of Christ. And then finally, God's empowers truth always points me to Jesus. If we're being asked to make radical changes to our lives, how we think, how we believe, how we act, how we react, how we, what we value and how we prioritize our lives, how do I know something is true right because there's 
We've already seen there's false knowledge that leads us away from Christ. How can I know if something is, is true? If it's true, if it's God's empowered truth, it always points me to Jesus. Because Jesus is the main theme of Scripture. Everything in the Bible takes us to Christ. Jesus said this, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. The Old Testament tells us about a a Savior that would come. The Gospels tell us about a Savior who came. Acts through Jude tell us the results of that Savior's life, death, and resurrection. Revelation reminds us that that Savior is still coming and will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Everything in Scripture should always point me to Jesus. If, if what I'm studying, what I'm hearing, what I'm learning, if it is not pointing me to Christ and encouraging me to embrace Him as Lord and Savior, it's not God's empowered truth. If what I'm hearing, reading, or studying is not drawing me closer to Christ so that I can know Him better, live better with Him in my life, abide in Him, it is not God's empowered truth. If what I'm hearing or studying or reading is not challenging me to lay things aside so that I can be more like Christ, it is not God's empowered truth. God's truth always points me to Jesus. It's always leading me to Jesus. It's always drawing me to Jesus. It has always challenged me to be more like Jesus. Always. And so if Jesus is not the focus of it, it ain't God's empowered truth. Here's the thing though. Jesus told this to a group of people who knew the Bible backward and forward, had huge portions of it memorized. The problem for them wasn't knowledge. The problem for them was submission to the word. Look at what he said. He said, but you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. The problem wasn't they didn't know enough. The problem was they were hearing but not heeding. And at that point, Scripture was telling them to he was the Christ, the Messiah to come. Surrender to him, embrace him as Lord and as Savior. And they were refusing. You know, for many of us, the problem is not that we don't know enough. We know plenty. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that he rose again. We know that he calls whosoever will to come to him, to lay down their burdens and be saved and receive eternal life. The issue isn't what we don't know. The issue is what we're not doing. We're Hearing, but we're not heeding. We're not going to Jesus that he could give us life. We're not going to Jesus that he can make us more like him. We're not going to Jesus so that we can know him better and be closer to him in our lives. This morning, everyone in here has a a sufficient understanding of scripture to be saved. Everyone in here has a sufficient understanding of scripture To begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem isn't a lack of knowledge. The problem is an unwillingness to obey. To hear without heeding. 
And as you hear without heeding, you build a stronghold that will push you further and further away from Christ. Let's all stand.